welcome to Disputes and Perspective. I'm Doug Cherry, a partner in the Disputes team at Reed Smith. This podcast series will discuss disputes-related trends, hot topics and developments occurring in the global legal landscape, and hopefully provide you with some helpful insights and practical tips. If you have any questions about any of the episodes, please feel free to contact our speakers. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our podcast in the Disputes in Perspective series. My name is Gautam Bhattacharya. I'm a partner in the London office at Reed Smith, and I'm delighted to be joined by my very dear friend and colleague, Christina Nitsche. Christina is a counsel in our Global Commercial Disputes Group in Munich. Hello, Christina. Thanks very much, Gautam. Hello. Good afternoon. Well, it's great to be talking to you today. And What we're going to be doing today is sharing some perspectives, some practical perspectives about a case that you and I are working on together to illustrate some interesting points which arise out of experiences that we have in the English litigation system where German clients are involved and where the differences between our two legal systems come out and some of the lessons that we've learned from doing this case together which we hope will be interesting for those listening. And so so one of the things I wanted to start off with, Christina, is if you could give us a, uh, a quick summary for our listeners of the litigation that we're involved in for our German client in the English courts. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it's a very helpful case to understand the dynamics between, well, cross-border litigation between, well, English and German proceedings because we have a classic supply chain matter here. So we have a manufacturer of a household appliance and as usually we have several uh, suppliers for the components to put the very, very helpful household appliance actually together. So we're representing one of the suppliers uh, located in Germany under an English proceeding then now. And the claimant is uh, a London company who suffered, unfortunately, uh, well, damages. This this case is really interesting to to showcase how how important it is when you enter into a cross-border relationship, a business relationship, to to understand where your potential worst-case scenario is. So if you enter into litigation what you have to face. And this is in particular interesting with regard to civil law countries like Germany or English common law countries, because what we will show and discuss then, like the the hot topics are discovery proceedings, privilege, and and also differences in costs. So, so actually, Gautam, where, where we started our a very nicely joint um, litigation here and we introduced you to, to our client who had just received some notification of a damage claim under English law. Uh, what, what was your perception of, of our client's needs and, and questions to, to be confronted with English proceedings now? Well, you know, that, that's a great question because the system of English litigation is very familiar to people like me and to those of us who are practicing here in the UK. But the system is not going to be the same or familiar to many people in in different jurisdictions. And you mentioned, Christina, a moment ago that uh, Germany is a civil law 
jurisdiction, which is in contrast to the UK, which is a common law jurisdiction. So the system of law, procedure, practice, how cases are conducted, and the way that people have their experiences will obviously be very different. So uh, I expected, of course, that our client would not be familiar and that there would obviously be a lot of areas where we would collectively, between us, have to explain the differences between the procedure in England and the procedure in Germany. And that's where working as a team is very helpful because you were you were able to explain those differences in a way that I certainly couldn't have done so well. I'm not sure about that because I know how well you explained. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. We we had this notification letter and there were millions and trillions of potential defendants named and a very vague concept of how the damage was caused and then a nice reference for the German client to a pre-action protocol. So, so this was the, the fun first challenge that, that you had to face to, to explain to the client coming from a civil law country what is the concept of a pre-action protocol if you're not in, in any kind of legal proceedings, but there's just a warning letter. And honestly, does anything happen for a German client if you do not comply with pre-action protocols? Yeah, and that's, again, one of the interesting differences in our procedure. The pre-action protocols were brought in here in, in England some years ago to really ensure that the parties did all they could in advance of the litigation to try to sort things out, to try to share information, to ensure that the dispute could be conducted in as orderly a manner as possible, and that they had you know, really sort of not sort of left anything behind the curtain, so to speak. And so it's important that parties involved in English litigation comply with the pre-action protocols, as you suggested a moment ago, because if they don't do that, there can be some negative consequences. First of all, it'll give a bad impression to the judge that someone hasn't complied with the pre-action protocols. Secondly, it obviously gives the opponent the ability to criticize the party who hasn't complied with the pre-action protocol. And thirdly, amongst other things, there can be cost consequences down the line. Um, so at the end of the case, the party who has been shown not to have complied with the pre-action protocol can have some costs penalties imposed against them. And so clearly, these are all things that a party would usually not want to have imposed on them. So that's one of the, so these are the reasons rather, why it's important that our client, in this case, ensured that it, it complied with the pre-action protocols. Yeah, actually, when I thought about your English concept, I, I really like how thoughtful it is. Still, of course, compared to, to my legal tradi tradition, it, it, it seems very complicated. So if we come from, from the civil law perspective, there are no specific pre-action protocols or a similar rules governing pre-action conduct in any way under, under German law. So it's, it's normal to send a warning letter before initiating court proceedings, but this is a mere question of a cost risk. 
but no, nothing else you, you have to do. So uh, furthermore, there, there are no so-called pre-trial discovery proceedings. So this is a concept the German law does not know compared to, to English law. Civil litigation in Germany is, is merely based on the principle of production of evidence. So, which means that if, if you're claiming, so you're the party that claiming, you have to submit facts and means of evidence to support your claim or then your defense. But it, in consequence, there is very limited exceptions of no such system of discovery in civil litigation, no need for, for development of specific rules of privilege protecting documents. So this is this is very, very different. So if you want to claim, you have to, to be aware of the fact that you have the burden of proof and provide the evidence. And the parties are generally totally free to decide which facts and documents they, they want to submit to the court. So this is their challenge and task to see what is helpful and what is not helpful in their proceedings. So even if it would be relevant to the case. So for the other party, you're not obligated to produce such, such documents. Only challenges, well, of course, and this should be in every jurisdiction, you must be, well, true and correct and don't say anything which is not true. Um, I know this is totally opposite to the, the English law approach where, we know that parties are obligated to produce and share documents and discovery proceedings, even uh, which might be not helpful for your own case, but but helpful for the for the other party. And I think discovery proceedings is a nice term for that because in English law you basically discover the matter together, which, which is a nice thought, but sometimes difficult for, well, the, the subjective party's view. So um, I know these discovery rules are quite detailed and there's, there's a good uh, system of regulations that have just been changed and updated. So for, for the civil law people, what are the main rules and what have you looked for in these discovery proceedings? Yeah, no, that's a that's a very interesting topic, Christina, because when you talk about civil law jurisdictions like France, Germany, Switzerland, just to take three examples, as you rightly mentioned a moment ago, they don't have the same concept of the disclosure of documents that we have here in England. So here, in summary, litigation is conducted on what we call a cards-on-the-table approach, which means that the parties must provide documents, helpful and unhelpful to their case, to the other parties or party as the case may be. Now, that means that it ensures there's a, uh, if you like, as some people would call it, a level playing field. So there are no surprises and you aren't just doing what's helpful to your case. You must provide documents that help your opponent's case and or hurt your own case. Now, this is good in many ways because it ensures that the dispute is dealt with in a comprehensive manner and the court is able to see the key documents about the dispute, not just one part of the dispute, which helps one party. Now, this, of course, leads to clients from civil law jurisdictions to feel very uncomfortable 
because they're not used to this. And this is, you know, at the beginning of this podcast, Christina, uh, we were talking about how our experiences from our legal traditions undoubtedly influence our perception of how a litigation should be conducted. So when clients who are not used to the very open book, cards on the table approach have to deal with it, they naturally feel a bit uncomfortable. But it's important, as you can imagine, that any party involved in litigation must comply with those rules. So this is, again, why the communication process is so important, which we were discussing a bit earlier on, Christina, that you know, it's important to explain the differences and expectations in one jurisdiction so that a client from a different jurisdiction is fully comfortable. That is so true. So German clients are super uncomfortable, just to put you <laughs> because they, they don't know the system and it's, it's so not in our legal tradition. The first reaction of the client to the statement of claim was, okay, we have four defendants, we're one of them, and there's, it may be defendant one, it may be defendant two, it may be defendant three, it may be defendant four, and we will figure out what it was and For, for German perspective and the client perspective, was it? Yeah, this is a no-brainer. They have to prove it until they're at, at our supply chain level ha happy to. But this is actually really super different, and we have to appreciate that if you cross-border um, relationships, that burden of proof is, is a German thing, and burden of proof here there's rarely an exception. So only if if it's hard to produce any evidence at all and it's in the discretion of the court to say you you mentioned this document or you referred, then then you have to produce it. But apart actually apart from the, the legal perspective, it, it's a factual challenge also. And 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 we had to face this Gautam, as you know, uh, with the client as well, because our case was or still is more than 10 years back. And to find and produce documents, this is a factual and technical challenge. And since in Germany we do not have discovery proceedings, we do not have retention obligations in that extent, then they are in the common law perspective. So, so I know at first... You, you know that by now, but colleagues were really astonished of how little documents we had because... Normally, Germans only have to, to retain documents uh, in the favor, if we can say so, of the financial authorities that they can check for tax fraud. But you do, we are not obligated to just record and, and keep documents for liability issues or potential litigation. So this is, of course, helpful to do that and to be, well, thoughtful with your documents, but you're not obligated. And 12 years back, so when we got to the client, that this was, was an issue, also a factual issue just from, from, from that perspective. But, but if you face these two, two systems, Gautam, would you say that in case of cross-border contractual relationships, so if we have uh, countries with discovery systems or, um, like, or countries like Germany with no discovery um, system, is it helpful to agree on a non-discovery jurisdiction or non-discovery law if you're the party that is exposed to a greater risk of damage? So which is normally the manufacturer 
and not the buyer in a business relationship? Well, it, yes, it could be. But I think the key thing is that when parties contract in the first place, they will choose the governing law. They will choose a jurisdiction uh, in their contract. It may also be that there can be some situations where the loss is suffered in one jurisdiction. And that jurisdiction is the jurisdiction where the litigation can be brought. Now, that jurisdiction may not be a civil law jurisdiction. So uh, then in that situation, you, you just have to deal with the place where the litigation is taking place. So a party may have no choice. So therefore, whilst you're correct that a party who is used to not having a disclosure obligation would like to ensure they don't have those obligations in disputes, that's, that situation may be beyond their control. Because firstly, because of the way that they originally entered into a contract and that contract pro, you know, provided for litigation, say, in England. Uh, or it may be that as, as, as a consequence of the dispute, the litigation is going to happen in London, which means that the English rules will apply. So that's, again, why, especially as you know, and we all know in this world of ours where business happens internationally, it's a small world, and, and it's important for clients to know about the, the key differences amongst jurisdictions. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's so correct. And it's, it's just helpful to have then joined forces to, to understand and, yes. and play with the different systems a bit. That is also helpful. Um, the, the logic consequence of discovery proceedings is legal privilege, which is a big topic under English law and not a topic under German law. Yes, <laughs> so. again, again, it's one of those issues that divides us. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So when we have your your nice stamp, uh, attorney legal privilege on our documents, it's it's more or less a help for the state prosecutor, anyone to see, oh, this must be an interesting document and not a help to provide it. Because since we do not have discovery proceedings, we do not need to protect documents to, to that extent. So, so of course, there are, is legal privilege as to when you're requested to testify as a witness or to produce document if you have a family pri privilege or trade secrets and, and of course also a professional privilege as a criminal defense attorney or an attorney involved in client communication that faces in particular criminal charges. But the principle of legal privilege well, is consequently not, not needed. So Again, the question then to you, if we have here our German client, what would be a privileged document in the discovery proceedings? Yeah, well, again, this is a very interesting point because this, again, is, a, is an issue which clients across many civil law jurisdictions, you know, I mentioned three examples, Germany, France and Switzerland. Over the years, the same issues have come up because in England, we have very distinct principles of legal privilege. And there are many categories of privilege, which can mean that certain documents do not have to be disclosed, or at least certain parts of those documents do not have to be disclosed. So, for example, you can have legal professional privilege, which is essentially legal advice being given by a lawyer to the client. You can have litigation privilege, which is that 
when a, a dispute is reasonably in contemplation, documents that have been created for the dominant purpose of that dispute are also privileged. You can have a privilege where if you're having settlement discussions, the discussions can be marked as without prejudice. So we wouldn't do it from a civil law perspective. <laughs> yes. So 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 these are the, and then also there are some other categories that can also be protected from disclosure. But to this area itself is a very broad area, and I'm and I'm aware from my previous experience of dealing with uh, litigation in France that the same issues you mentioned in Germany also apply in France, where these categories that we in England take for granted don't apply in France, for example. So it's very interesting to see that although geographically we are not far apart from each other in France or Germany or uh, we have many yeah. differences, which are huge. <laughs> that, that is so true. <laughs> but, but since you are so often involved in, in cross-border litigation, and I think there's hardly anyone else in our law firm that does it so so much, is there anything to be particularly aware of if you, you are dealing with like the, the civil law lawyers like me, for example, in, in this matter in our communication with regard to privilege? Well, I think it's just be, being mindful that a privilege, whilst a very important concept, is also a very problematic concept because you can lose privilege in certain circumstances and one can never assume that certain documents are privileged. You always have to look at what is involved. So who has created the document, who's advised on the document. So just because we have, a, a if you like, a more liberal system here, in England, that doesn't mean that clients in civil law jurisdictions can think that everything is going to be privileged that goes between a lawyer and the client or that is created in the course of a dispute. So that's another area which is very important for civil law jurisdiction lawyers to be aware of. And I'm sure we could do another podcast just on this area itself, Christina. I know I received many emails from you about this. <laughs> Very helpful. But since we're heading to, to, to the end, sh shall we talk about the, the nice topic of costs and expenses? So I, I think so. <laughs> I think so, Christina. I think that's a very good way to finish off the last couple of minutes of this podcast. No, so let me pose this to you, Christina. I mean, let me pose a couple of points to you because I think your thoughts on these will be much more interesting than mine. The first thing is in English litigation, the general principle is that the losing party must pay the winning party's legal costs, which means lawyers' fees, experts' fees, etc. And it would be interesting as to what the practice is in Germany. And also, I wonder if you could address this point, Christina, that, you know, we have a, a concept here in England that in certain circumstances, the, the court will order one party to provide security for costs if they're bringing a litigation against another party or they're involved in a litigation against another party. Now, there obviously there are certain circumstances that will have to apply before the court will order that. But... Um, I'd be interested because I, I heard recently, I've not read the judgment yet, but I will. I heard recently there was a German case where post-Brexit, a German court had obliged an English party to provide security for costs. I wonder if you could address those two points as we close up this podcast. 
very happy to do that. And from, from the German perspective, we, we can summarize the differences. So as we, we learned that English proceedings are very thoughtful, detailed and transparent, you, you have to have the money to pay for these proceedings. So, so <laughs> For, for this kind of quality. And this is different uh, to, to German proceedings. It's the same principle. So if the party loses, they have to pay. So if they lose overall. But we have capped fees. So they're capped for the court proceedings and also for the lawyers, depending on the amount in suit. So it does not matter what your lawyer actually uh, receives per hour or for, for the matter they work for, but it, it's capped. So this limits the amounts and the, the costs for the proceedings really uh, substantially. So, so actually it's a, a cheap place for litigation c compared to your English system. And um, it, you're absolutely right. It's one of the first Brexit cases that the Supreme Court recently Uh, decided about uh, securities. So si since it's super unclear what uh, regulations will apply between Germany and so the EU and the UK, UK is considered as, well, a foreigner. And foreigner may be asked to uh, provide and submit security for the costs of proceedings if they file these uh, in, in Germany, which is just a consequence of, of a gap now. Because before we were all EU and so you we were, we were all within one state and not considered as foreigner. Now you're unfortunately considered as a, not a member state, <laughs> not with <laughs> us. <laughs> so, so you have to pay like anyone else. <laughs> yeah, this is one of the consequences which no one knew would be <laughs> happening post-Brexit. So yeah, now we are a foreign state to, to Germany. And, and again, whilst geographically we aren't that far from each other, we are far from each other. But no, look, thank you very much, Christina. This is a, it's been a delight to do this podcast with you. As the listeners will hopefully have realized, you and I have a very close bond because we've worked a lot together. So this was all completely unscripted and was purely done by us just having a conversation. And uh, we hope it's been useful to all of our listeners. So thank you very much, Christina, for your time today. And we look forward to doing more podcasts. And thank you all on this podcast for tuning in. Thanks very much. Disputes and Perspective is a Reed Smith production. Our producer is Ali McArdle. For more information about Reed Smith's litigation and dispute resolution practice, please email disputesandperspective at reedsmith.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher, and reedsmith.com, and our social media accounts at reedsmithllp on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast is provided for educational purposes. It does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. Prior results do not guarantee a similar outcome. All rights reserved.